0: You're listening to Raising Curious Learners, a podcast from Britannica for Parents, where we talk to experts and discuss the issues and trends in child development, education, and parenting. Welcome back to Raising Curious Learners. I'm Elizabeth Romansky, and my co-host is Anne Gadzikowski. Elizabeth,
1: you know that one of our most popular features on Britannica for Parents is our series called Now What? And these articles focus on important issues and challenges that many families experience, such as depression, eviction, COVID, or the death of a
0: pet. Yeah, and actually one of our newest articles in this series is shining light on the experiences of families where one of the parents has been incarcerated. It was through this article that we learned about the work of advocate Ebony Underwood and her— organization called We Got Us Now.
1: And these challenges faced by children with an incarcerated parent are so important, yet so often overlooked. So we invited Ebony to participate in our podcast today. Welcome, Ebony. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We're so glad to talk with you today. Tell us about your organization, We Got Us Now. What is it and what need does it fill?
2: Yeah, so We Got Us Now is the first of its kind, it's a non-profit nonpartisan advocacy organization amplifying the issues that children and young adults with incarcerated parents face due to mass incarceration uh, the need that we feel is that this organization was established to recognize all children and young adults who've experienced having a parent in either jail state prison and federal correctional facilities to ensure that you know that we are able to be the collective authors of our personal narratives you know we work to eliminate the trauma the stigma the shame of parental incarceration when we see say this organization is built by, led by, and about children of incarcerated parents. We actually mean that. This is my personal story, as well as all of the We Got Us Now team. This work that we do is really around amplifying this issue and trying to find ways to ensure that our voices are part of the reform that is happening around the country um, in the criminal justice system, and just to seek justice and accountability for our very marginalized population. So the need that we feel is is just seeking to amplify this issue so that people are more aware of it and people can know how to best support children who have had a parent or have a parent incarcerated.
0: Ebony, when you say you guys amplify, can you give examples of how you do that and how you support
2: the kids? Yes. Yeah, so my background is in content creation, marketing and promotions. I didn't come into this work studying this issue. I come. I come from a lived experience. And so prior to this, I used to work in the entertainment business, in the music business specifically, and, and I, I'm a content creator as well. So when it comes to content, especially now and today in this very digital age that we live in, the way in which we amplify this work is through social media advocacy. We create digital narratives. We produce content just to really share this story. And we do that in a bunch of different ways. We have a website, Instagram page. We have a Twitter page. You know, you can go to our YouTube page and see some of the shorts, see some of the videos that we produce. We've also worked in collaboratively with Google. I produced three iterations. Of a Google initiated digital campaign called Love Letters to demonstrate the unbreakable bond between an incarcerated parent and their child. But yeah, those are some of the ways in which we do this work. Are are aim is to, in a really strengths-focused way, eliminate the stigma, shame, and trauma that occurs when a parent is separated from a child due to incarceration. So
1: you're raising awareness, but you're also advocating for specific actions or policies that are going to help families stay connected, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: I saw on your website, one of the initiatives has to do with providing transportation for visits, for example.
2: Well, that was something that we were advocating for. Specifically in New York State, there was transportation for many, many years from the 1970s up until the 2000s. There was transportation had been like over 30 years of transportation and all of a sudden it was cut out of the budget. Those buses were instrumental in keeping families connected. And so we started a campaign back in 2018 with the hashtag keep families connected because we believe that the best way to ensure that there is low recidivism amongst parents and less harm to children is to ensure that we keep these families connected. There's data that actually shows that when a parent is connected to a child, they're less likely to recidivate, which means they're less likely to end up back in prison because they see the harm that it actually causes their children and themselves. And, you know, people just want to better themselves. And if we're talking about this being a system of corrections, then that's the type of things that. be happening like we should ensure that those carceral harms that happen to families don't happen so um, in that particular campaign we were advocating to reinstate the buses we were also advocating to ensure that parents were in closer proximity while incarcerated they were in closer proximity to where their children live a lot of times parents are very far away hours and hours away from their children sometimes up to 10 12 hours away and it's difficult if, you know, a child and their caregiver don't have the transportation or the means to be able to stay connected to their family members and visit. So proximity was a big deal, as well as the transportation, as well as the in-person visits. Those are three policies that we've been advocating for. And I'm happy to share that in 2020, in December, in New York State, that the proximity bill was passed. And now children of incarcerated parents, thanks to our advocacy and the advocacy of the coalitions that we work with in New York State. The proximity bill has been passed, and parents will now be housed in facilities that are closest to their children and families.
1: That's amazing to hear. That's great. Thank you. You're shining a light on the experiences of specific children. You're giving voices to to children and, and teens. You're also addressing systemic issues. So let's talk about systems. Tell us about the system of mass incarceration in the US and can you explain to our listeners why? this is not just a family-specific issue, but it's really a broad systemic issue?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll start. You know, that's a great question. I'll start with what mass incarceration is. So let me give you some data. So in this country, In the United States, we're known as the great mass incarcerator. We're only 5% of the world's population, but we incarcerate over 25% of the world's population. And of that over 2 million people that are incarcerated, because there's over 2 million people, 50% of them are parents. And if you break that down a little bit more, we found out that 2.7 million children currently have a parent that's incarcerated. That number, that population number, 2.7 million, is actually greater than the states of Maine and New Hampshire combined. Mm. Mm you know, for me, when I heard this, I was just like, wow, this is like a serious problem. Why are we not talking about this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, you know, and, and interestingly enough for myself, I never, I I never really thought about it as it being beyond my family. I I never, I mean, even within my family, even amongst my, I have, there's four of us of my siblings and I, we never really even talked about it. Like people don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I was like, how do I, how do I ensure that we are talking about this issue because it is a systemic issue when you think about how many people are impacted and how many children who I deem are the innocent bystanders of this experience, how many of them are impacted. So the number for children under the age of 18 is 2.7 million children. But what we found out is that over the course of mass incarceration, there have been, and this number is 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 way greater because this number is, is an old stat at this point, the epidemic is that over 10 million children have actually been impacted by parental incarceration in the United States. And that's in just in the United States alone, but we have been a historically invisible population. And because we are historically invisible, and because we don't talk about the trauma, shame, and stigma of this, it becomes this silent issue that we walk around with and this silent pain that we walk around with. And so to just make you understand mass incarceration, <laughs> that term mass incarceration, it refers 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 to the extreme imprisonment practices that the U.S. has implemented to lock up a vast population of people in federal and state prisons, as well as local jails. And how I'd like to best describe mass incarceration is that mass incarceration is what I would describe as a great tsunami that has ripped across the country, destroying communities and ripping apart families. And it has been really extremely challenging and created disparities, particularly around Black and Hispanic children. Black children are nine times more likely to have a parent incarcerated and Hispanic children are three times more likely to have a parent incarcerated. And so, you know, the disparities there are just overwhelming. And it's it's just the way in which we incarcerate. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of racial injustice in the way that we incarcerate. And so Black and brown children are more likely to be recognized as children of incarcerated parents. But what we got us now is discovered is that, wow, children from, all walks of life, not just children that are impoverished, not, you know, what people would imagine it to be. It, it is actually children from all walks of life. I mean, there are so many young people that I've met that have had this experience and talk about the fact that their parent has been incarcerated, but they never had the courage to share about this experience from Asian young adults to white young adults to Latin young adults and, you know, people from, from every area. Uh, it, just, it just boggles my mind. I mean, I'm, I remember being at Google and speaking at Google and meeting some of their employees and them coming up to me and saying, like, this is such an important issue. Thank you so much for sharing, because this is my story, too. I just never had the courage. I'm like, wow, really? This is your story? Like what a positive influence you would be on our community if they knew that, you know, this was your story, but because of the narrative about incarceration and just the the historical context of what it is, it's just people just don't talk about it. And that is doing a, a grave injustice to so much of our community that I'm, I'm sure that you all know someone that has been impacted and you probably never heard them share about it because mm-hmm. people just don't share. So when we talk about the systemic impact, you know, I, I think about it from a holistic point of view and just the wellness of people and the wellness of our families and children and just people generally. There's so many people that have been impacted. They just never talk about it. Mm -hmm.
0: And so it sounds like you're saying that you believe we're not talking about it because of the narrative that's around it and the history around it. And certainly with your organization, We Got Us Now, you're working to change that and actually bring more conversations to play. So can you tell us how you've seen that change with your organization, how it's kind of shown a positive impact? Obviously, the policy, in the state of New York is a huge success but I'm curious what other examples you have for showing you know why talking about it is so important and here's how you're seeing that positive impact
2: well first and foremost thank you so much for saying that um, it has been a positive and extremely positive impact I think it's a relief and and let me put a exclamation mark on this when I speak about this issue again we got us now we talk about it from the entire population perspective because when I I first began doing this work. I saw that the focus was primarily on younger children, but my father was incarcerated when I was younger and a child to the time that I became an adult. So there is no magic button at the age of eighteen where all of a sudden all the pain disappears and Mm -hmm. you're, you know, fine. Everything is fine. I'm just, I can, yeah, I'm an adult and I'm coping with this fine. No, as a matter of fact, it actually becomes more apparent. And what becomes more apparent is the fact that there's this pain that you have never talked about, that you have never shared about, that is haunting you, and because you have never talked about it or no one in your family has ever talked about it, that you don't even realize that it's affecting you and it starts to affect you in all sorts of areas in your life. So, you know, at the epicenter of what we do is wellness and self-care. We love to be able to share about the importance of wellness and self-care. The way in which we do this work, if we start from that point, is to ensure that we are always emphasizing, and we do this through social media because the way that we reach our audience is through word of mouth or through social media or through me speaking on platforms like this and having the opportunity to bring this issue to the greater community and the greater public. The way in which we do the work is to really do it in a strengths-focused way. Our approach is a really strengths-focused approach and identifying the population at all areas. We work from four founding principles, which are to engage, educate, elevate, and empower. First and foremost, we have to engage these young people because we don't know where they are. We know they're there, but we don't know who they are and where they are. So that's how we started. It was by engaging you know, around this conversation. And me, by sharing my personal story, I began to advocate publicly for my own father. That's how I started in this work. I started as an advocate um just really trying to find an opportunity to garner my father some some sort of relief. And during the Obama administration, if you all remember, there were like this, you know, he made in his last term, you know, uh, clemency and mass incarceration and mm-hmm. identifying and really bringing it to the forefront so much so that that's how I found out about it. Like, I had no idea that this was like a huge issue, even though I had lived more than half of my life experiencing it. I had no idea that it was like there was this thing called mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that there were others that were so impacted and that we were doing this in such a harmful way in this country. I began to advocate for my dad and speak publicly about it. And in doing so, I began to meet a lot of different people. And on that journey, I decided that because it had become so much a part of my life, I I decided that I would go ahead and um, apply for the Source Justice Fellowship. I did. I became a Source Justice Fellow. And that allowed me to basically learn about this issue and do a lot of research across this country, you know, just meeting all sorts of daughters and sons and organizations that amplify this issue. And I really recognize that it was not just black and brown children, that it was children from all walks of life, all races and colors, and that we needed to really amplify this. What I also found that there were some, you know, difficulties and challenges in this, because first and foremost, this was a historically invisible population. Like, how am I going to find these people? And are they willing to share? So I would meet people, but everybody was not willing to share. And so what We Got Us Now did was last year we launched our We Got Us Now actionist leadership program, because I started to see see along the process of me meeting young people across the country and hearing about, you know, people that were interested in this work or people that knew about me and the work that I was doing, I started to see that there were two types of children that had been impacted. There was one type that was, you know what, I love what you guys are doing at We Got Us Now. Thank you so much for doing your work. This is incredible. We're going to support you. You know, I'll sign up for the newsletter and I'd like to stay connected. And then the other side was that there are children that were impacted that were like, I love this. What do I do to become a part of this? How can I help? Like, I want to be active. I want to activate. I want to share my story. Ebony, what do I need to do? And so that dynamic was also present in my family. So I was very aware, my siblings, there were two of us, me and my older brother. He was interested in, you know, supporting this work. And he had been vocal even before me. He had been vocal about it, about my dad. I never really shared about this. I've only became public sharing this story since 2014. I never really shared publicly about this. Mm -hmm. And at that point, my father had been incarcerated for like 26 years. Yeah, it it took a long time for me to even say anything. So I understand Mm -hmm. the lack of... Of wanting to share because of the stigma. You don't know what people are going to ask. They ask sometimes really harmful questions like what what, would happen? Why is he there? And a lot of times, a lot of young people don't even know why? Like they don't have the particulars because of the way that our laws are set up in this country. For instance, my father was incarcerated under drug laws and a conspiracy. He was part of this drug conspiracy. It was a drug related charge. And so he's incarcerated under this drug related charge, but he received a life without parole. And I'm like, well, why did he receive a life without parole? And then people are asking you about it. So if you don't understand how to explain all of this, the best thing that you can do is avoid it. Mm -hmm. Or the best thing we felt, I guess, that we feel that we can, do is to avoid it and not share. And so a lot of young people just don't share about it because they don't know how to explain it or there's a lot of pain attached to it. So what we got us now with our leadership program, what we do is we train and develop those young people who are interested in advocating to advocate a little bit more beyond telling their personal story, but training them how to become subject matter experts around issues that are related to criminal justice reform and ending mass incarceration and creating fair sentencing in our country. There's so many countries around the world that do this work really, really well and do not cause harm in separating families in the way that we do here. And just all the carceral mechanisms that keep our families disconnected. I know I just said a whole lot. I'm sorry. (laughs)
0: No, it it was extremely helpful. We're going to take a quick break, so stay with us and we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Let's take a moment to talk about today's sponsor. Did you know Britannica designed a safe and trusted site that allows kids to be just that, kids? On Britannica Kids, you'll find content from great intellects across the globe, including leading educators, Pulitzer Prize winners, and Nobel laureates. And it's all designed with kids in mind. Go to kids.britannica.com kids30 for 30% off your subscription today. Because the news around us
1: changes by the second, reliable information is more important than ever. Consider supporting our quest for the truth with a Britannica Premium Membership and gain access to over 1 million pages of fact-checked content. Go to Britannica.com slash premium30 and get 30% off your subscription today.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the US economy in 2022. I think the one thing that I'm really interested in is the leadership program, because that's one great way where you're continuing branching out. So you're continuing training others on how to kind of talk about the issue and support it. And so you're going to increase the amount of folks who become more comfortable sharing their story and having these hard conversations that technically shouldn't be hard, but, you know, they are initially until you have a broader conversation about it. So I think it's just, you know, continually kind of creating this like waterfall effect.
2: Absolutely. That's exactly right. We talked about one bill that was passed, that was a proximity bill. So we had two advocates from New York they were very instrumental in advocating for those three bills and to successfully have passed one was amazing because it takes sometimes years for mm-hmm. bills to even get passed, even if they even make it, you know, some bills never even make it. So for the fact that, you know, we advocated for this bill and it actually got passed was amazing. So I know it's, it's exactly what you're saying. Like the work is working, like us having this experience and being able to articulate it and share with policymakers or educators or, you know, just the general public about like the harms and, and how to best support us when they're educated around it is extremely helpful to not only those people, those policymakers and, you know, the decision makers and changing the laws, but also just, you know, maybe caregivers, you know, who are currently dealing with it or a teacher who may not understand that, like, why is this child falling yeah. asleep you know, on Monday, you just had a weekend. Like, why are you, it's Monday morning and you're falling asleep. Well, you know what? Maybe the child just came from visiting their parent. It is often hours and hours away. Or maybe the child just left their parent from visiting their parent over the weekend and are really saddened by the fact that they had to leave them there, you know, and 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 not go home with their parent. So there's a lot of different things in a lot of different areas. This is such a multi-layered issue that affects so many parts of our lives that if we aren't having these conversations, then the people that could best support these children aren't informed and aren't equipped with this information so we got us now that leadership program our intention was to have these conversations and to identify them and speak them out loud and share with our community ways in which we've been harmed and identify them so that we can better support the work that's being done to support us and i'm happy to share that we were able to pass you know four bills in 2020 not just the proximity bill but we were able to pass another state bill in Louisiana. There's now a council for children of incarcerated parents in the state of Louisiana. It's a council that is housed in the governor's office That is led by one of our actionists. She has an organization in Louisiana called Daughters Beyond Incarceration. Her name is Brie Anderson and her and her co-founder, her partner, Dominique, they together were leading the charge and we helped them in crafting recommendations to their governor. And lo and behold, our recommendation that children of incarcerated parents are part of the conversations around keeping families connected, they now have created this council for children and caregivers. That was at the state level, at the local level, one of our actionists in D.C. He was able to implement or get implementing a bill there in D.C. now in D.C. public schools across the the state of, well, that's it's not a state, across the district <laughs> across the District of Columbia. He's, he was able to get a bill passed that will help to support children of incarcerated parents across D.C. public schools. You know, those are a couple of examples. And then I guess the fourth one is this Appropriations Act. Act that we got passed. So in 2020, we were able to, in December, in that last major bill, I guess it was part of the COVID relief bill, we were able to get appropriations for alternatives to incarceration. Instead of taking parents who have young children out of their home, there now are really, really great programs that are being implemented across certain states across the country that it create alternatives to incarceration, but there there needs to be money to support that work. So we were able to get $3.5 million passed um, in appropriations for alternatives to incarceration. And now we're working on a, a bill this year. We're working on some policy around supporting a bigger ask. It's Families Act that will ensure that appropriations are always made every year. And we won't have to ask every year for appropriations. It'll be part of this bill. Mm -hmm. And the Families Act will ensure that, you know, we are keeping families connected and finding better ways to cause less harm to these children and ensuring that these parents are not only recognizing the mistakes that they're made, but really working to help them correct and reform and atone and get on the right path so that, you know, we are not this horrible system of mass incarceration and that we ultimately end mass incarceration.
0: Yeah, those are all amazing accomplishments. And I think, you know, each one, the amount of work that was put in from your team was probably just, you can't even <laughs> can't even quantify that work. And so four bills to go out is amazing because it's just, you know, with something, unfortunately, this systemic, it's going to take all of this hard work and everything from policies to conversations to continue to get to that ultimate goal. So it's amazing to hear the
2: success that you guys have had in just a year specifically. Thank you so much. Okay. So first of all, we had no idea that that was going to happen. I guess we were were all working (laughs) towards these things. And- Once I like sat back and reflected, I was like, oh, my God, we did so much. Who knew? Yeah. 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 I only found out in like the fourth quarter of this year. So in all the process of all of these things happening and us doing this work and my dad came home after 33 years of incarceration (laughs) on January 19th, 2021, me and my siblings were able to pick up my dad and he came home after 33 years. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. It's been incredible. It's been incredible. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's been incredible. PBS American Portrait just did like this, this whole mural about my story. I was like, oh my God, I had submitted a story. A friend of mine worked on the American Portrait. Or for PBS, and she was like, "You should submit your story. We're doing stories mm-hmm. from all across the country. You should submit yours." And I did, and I forgot about. It. I completely forgot about it because I was doing this action. <laughs> I was I was developing the Leadership Actionist program. Yeah, so you I, had a
0: lot of other things too. Yeah, I was
2: like, <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of things going on. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, I'll do it. But you know, and it's, it was just a blurb. Like you, I wrote a little like summary of just like my story. My whole thing was trying to build awareness. So if I can use my story to build awareness, to just make more people understand like this story and what's happening here in this country, okay, let me do it. And so. I did it and I forgot about it. Well, on the day that I actually picked up my dad, I received an email from PBS about Them creating a mural. They they selected eight different people, and one of the people they chose was mine. But it was the day that I went to pick up my dad that they emailed me, so I completely missed it. Uh And on social media, the artist just recently in March she reached out to me and said it was such an honor to be commissioned to do this mural. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? (laughs) What? I have no idea what she was talking about. She's like, oh my god, you don't? I was like, no, I have no idea. And then. Wow. Wow. Yes. It's there. That's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing.
0: Yeah. What a, what a fulfilling journey you've had for this organization and, and not only from the work that you've done to support other families in the community, but I'm talking just for yourself because you started this with your own life story and to have it come about where your dad was able to come home. like I can only imagine how much you're still processing because it's got to be such a fulfilling job for you.
2: Oh my God, it's true. I mean, even as I'm talking to you now, it's still like surreal.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine it's going to take probably a long time to just fully process all of the accomplishments that you've had and and all the experiences that you've gone through.
2: Thank you so much.
0: You know, before we run out of time, I wanna be
1: sure to ask you about Mother's Day and Father's Day, because I know that you've got some important initiatives that happen in the spring. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so every year we do the Keep Families Connected campaign around Mother's Day and Father's Day. And this started this started with me personally advocating for my story. And I created a video called Hope for Father's Day. Well, during the Obama administration, I got invited to the White House Or several families got invited to the White House because he was doing, he had the whole big clemency initiative. Mm -hmm. And Google um, hosted a dinner for specifically for the families. And while I was there, Google executives came up to me and said, we saw your video, Hope for Father's Day. We really love the work that you're doing. We would love to be able to support this work. You know, will you work with us to do this? I came on as a producer and we came up with the concept and we came up with the campaign called Love Letters. And Love Letters is basically a video campaign to show the unbreakable bond between a parent and a child. It's a digital campaign. And I was just like, wow, you know, back in 2018, we should broaden this because I've been doing this with Google since 2016. I began this Keep Families Connected campaign series. Last year, because of the pandemic in 2020, we were doing our actionist leadership program, but we had to incorporate it into a virtual campaign. It fell in alignment with the Keep Families Connected campaign. Mm And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, what we've been able to do is throughout these these annual campaigns, we did a, a postcard campaign. We partnered with a, a postcard company where children would send for free postcards to their parents during Mother's Day or Father's Day. And last year, what we were able to do was our, our Actionist Leadership Program. We did a bunch of programming around that. You can see that on our, our YouTube page. We have several videos where we did some, some wellness, and we also did some civic engagement and public education. And then this year, what we're doing is we're launching our We Got Us Now podcast. And so for the weeks between Mother's Day and Father's Day, you can tune in once a week and hear our different podcasts from different stories from different children of incarcerated parents from all across the country and and some of their parents as well. It'll be really, really interesting.
0: Dear Dad. Hi, Dad. I hope this letter finds you in good spirits. It's been 10 years since you've been gone, I am so excited to know that you will be home this year.
1: I was just looking at a picture of us on Grandma's fridge. I can remember like it was
0: yesterday. What I miss most about you is your hugs and your kisses. When you were inside, I feel like a part with me was missing. That part that was missing was you. Plus, it was a bit boring without you. It hurts not to be able to hug you or talk to you all the time I want. Although we talk on the
1: phone almost every day, I didn't realize how much
2: I actually need you physically. 27 years is a long time not to have you right next to me, to hug me when you come home from work, or to wipe my tears away when somebody breaks my heart. I wish you a happy Father's Day. I want
1: you to enjoy this day and think about how much we love you. Happy Father's Day. I love you, Dad. Happy Father's Day, Dad. I love you.
2: Happy Father's Day. Love, Gregory. I love you, Dad. Happy Father's Day. Love,
1: Erica. I encourage all our listeners to go to your website, wegotusnow.org, and learn more about your organization and watch these amazing videos because they're they're really lovely and, and very inspiring and informative, too.
2: Thank you. This year as well, last year, we, we launched this because of COVID. We created a uh, Protect Our Parents campaign, and um, the Protect Our Parents campaign was basically in light of COVID because we know, we know as a community, um, that We Got Us Now community, we know that there is no such thing as social distancing inside a prison or a jail. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to ensure that we were, you know, keeping at the forefront that our parents were there and that, you know, we were concerned about them and concerned about their well-being. So we're continuing that um, Protect Our Parents campaign as well during this time to ensure that we protect our parents behind bars. And on our We Got Us Now website, you can see there's a whole page dedicated to COVID-19 around the impact that we've had and um, what we're doing. And we have an open letter and we have four demands. I'm happy to share that the Federal Bureau of Prisons implemented our second demand. And so phone calls are free. Our second demand was to ask if phone calls were free. Mm. They have implemented. I'm excited to share that. And our advocacy will continue on and people can go and sign a petition. I need signatures. On a petition!
1: <laughs> you know, I feel like we're just starting a really important conversation here, but I know we're out of time for today. We'll have to wrap up. Ebony, do you have any final words of wisdom or suggestions for our listeners about how they can support children of incarcerated parents?
2: I do. I do. First thing I would say is this is a really challenging experience for children. Uh, A lot of times they don't know how to speak about this or share about this because of the trauma, the stigma, the shame of it. So language is a really important thing. And there is really harmful dehumanizing language like, Inmate felon prisoner, and I would ask that people think about how we use language in using more humanizing language, like incarcerated parent or parents behind bars, or just simply you know a parent that is uh, one of the things that I would love to be able to share with the audience and also the other thing that I like to share is that there is this this really stigmatizing myth about our population that we're more likely to end up incarcerated if we have a parent behind bars. And that denotes like this criminogenic narrative that has been widely accepted as fact in scholarly, political and bureaucratic circles. Well, according to the Annie Casey Foundation, there is no solid evidence to support this assertion. And its continued use in these policy arenas has been highly questionable. And I'd just like to add that this narrative is extremely harmful to our population. Mm. And so I, I would ask that they think about, you know, those types of things. And with so much going on in this world right now. I, I'm just trying to find as much harmony and love mm-hmm. in our society because it just feels like there's so much. Oh, yeah. I mean, if anything, I, I would say the greater public has probably experienced what it means to be a child of incarcerated parent through the pandemic. It is literally not knowing how your loved ones is doing, not being able to hug a loved one when you feel like you need a hug or want a hug. I wrote an article, you know, not too long ago about what it feels like to have a parent incarcerated is similar to social distancing. And so I just would ask that people just, you know, find more love and be more considerate to everyone. But when you think about people that are incarcerated, people make mistakes. Should their children be harmed in the process? No. When a parent is divorced, we center the children. When parents are in the military, we center the children. But when parents are incarcerated, we don't center the children. We, we need to center the children and, you know, think about them and how they're feeling. I mean, it's really, really important in their wellness and their well-being. And you can do that by supporting We Got Us Now or working alongside We Got Us Now. That is what we are designed to do to help people better understand this issue and experience.
1: Ebony Underwood, thank you so much for shining a light on this important topic. And it's been such a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all having me. And by the way, Britannica was like my favorite. My father <laughs> brought me the whole collection. It's a huge deal for me. So thank you.
0: Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Raising Curious Learners. Special thanks to our guest this week, Ebony Underwood, founder of We Got Us Now, for giving us some insight into the issues children and young adults with incarcerated parents face due to mass incarceration, and for sharing some tips on ways that educators can better support them. I'm Elizabeth Romansky, and my co-host, as always, is Anne Gadzikowski. Our audio engineer and editor for this program is Emily Goldstein. The barks you hear in the background are courtesy of my dog, Nolly. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and share with your friends. This episode is copyrighted by Encyclopedia Britannica Incorporated, all rights reserved. Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by
1: Britannica for Parents, a free site with expert advice for your tech-savvy family needs. Whether it's explaining Zoom to your three-year-old, navigating your child's new friendship with Siri, or more serious topics like talking to young children about the police or sending your kids back to school during the COVID-19 pandemic, we're here to help with resources for parents of all age groups. Check us out at parents.britannica.com.